This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. In a recent article, New York Magazine highlighted a very disturbing statistic. Here's what it said. Today, young women in the U.S. aren't just unprecedentedly single. They also appear to be unprecedentedly uninterested in heterosexuality. According to private polling from Democratic data scientist David Shore, roughly 30 percent of American women under 25 identify as LGBT. Now, think about that. If that statistic is right and that statistic holds over time, what would that mean for the future of childbearing and the American family? More than that, what does it say about the godlessness of this culture? And that's just one troubling statistic among many, showing that the future of our nation really is on the brink as we're heading into the next presidential election. But is now a time to panic and give up? Or is it time to trust in the Lord more than ever and be the salt and light that he's called us to be like never before. Lots to talk about this hour. We're going to do it with Christian apologist, Dr. Alex McFarland. Alex is a religion and culture expert, an author, radio host, and pioneer of the Truth for a New Generation Conference, which is designed to equip teens and adults to know what they believe and learn how to defend their faith in Christ. And his latest book is the one we're going to talk about today. It's called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. Good words, Alex, and great to have you here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Janet. And uh, let me just add to that list of uh, things. I'm a, a huge fan of the Janet Mefford show. Oh, you're so, you, sweet. <laughs> you're, you're so insightful and godly and uh, very intelligent. And I, I benefit. I'm one of your grateful listeners. Well, I'm yours as well. So I appreciate your saying that, Alex. It's great to have you here, and especially at a time like this. You know, I had just listed that particular statistic that was in New York Magazine, about 30% of American women under the age of 25 identifying as either lesbians or transgenders. What do you make of this? How do we even wrap our heads around these numbers? Well, well, you know, there, there are several factors that have brought us to this point, not the least of which has really been the breakdown of the family since uh, the era of no-fault divorce began around 1970. But, uh, Janet, you and I both know American secular education has been overwhelmingly uh, anti-family, anti-God, anti-morality, anti-virtue. K through 12 public schooling and then American universities have been militantly secular for several decades now. And all of this has just finally coalesced into we're at a point where, you know, even many non-conservatives and even non-Christians are suddenly saying, look, the very pillars of our society have just about been completely knocked down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's very sad. Um, and rather than talking politically or academically, for just a moment, let me speak pastorally. As, a, you know, for 30 years, 
ordained in the ministry. I was a youth pastor 11 years, pastored two churches, Janet. And let me just speak with empathy about people. My heart breaks for the millennial and younger generations because of this, Janet. Mm. I honestly believe the second greatest gift God ever gave the human race, second only to salvation, God gave the human race this wonderful gift called family. And as, as I've talk with so many young people who say, well, you know, marriage is just not a priority to me and childbearing and, you know, who needs the encumbrances of family, you know, when I can get my degree, earn money and go to Hawaii. Mm. Um, let me say this, when you're 70 and 80 and 90 years old, you, you can't curl up and hug a BMW. Right. Right. Um, you, you can't, uh, so, so many of the things of family, and you, you know, you and Charlie know, and Angie and I have known for 30 years, there's marriage, there's family, uh, and the, the home is the church in miniature, as Francis Schaeffer said. Right. And so our abandonment of marriage and family means that we're walking away from not only one of God's greatest blessings, but that great institution that can turn carnal people into saints. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, you mentioned the schools being militantly secular and having been so for a very long time in many cases. The schools have the children all day long for a number of years, which is why a lot of Christian families have opted for Christian school or for homeschooling wisely, in my opinion. But then you also have this generation, this younger generation, Generation Z, falling into this idea, and the millennials are the same way to a certain extent, although a little bit less, that socialism is a great idea. You had that statistic coming out from the polling done last year showing that an inordinate number of Generation Z members and millennials said, oh, I'd prefer to live in a socialist country. And of course, those of us who remember the Cold War go, what are you, crazy? But yeah. again, what what's happening, it seems, with these generations is that this these are generations in large measure who come from a lot of broken homes and a lot of uh, terrible situations with their own families. And then you add in all of the secularization, you add in the militant pro-abortion propaganda that says if a baby is inconvenient, you just kill the baby, which kills mm. kills the maternal instinct. I mean, it really or suppresses sure. it. All of these things kind of come together, don't they? This idea that the state will take care of you or you will take care of yourself and you can make your own identity. This is a recipe for disaster. And many Christians are saying, how in the world do you even get yourself out of this as a culture? Well, you know, Satan has done through through really the, the breakdown of the family and the hypersexualization of the culture. Satan has done through these things what he tried to do but couldn't do through theological liberalism. Yeah. Uh, in the late 1700s, um, liberal theology largely came out of Germany. It's, it's interesting, the very same Germany that gave us the Reformation with Luther 200 years later was giving us higher criticism that says the Bible is not really the Word of God. Yeah. And yet, um, when uh, academia and many seminaries were turning against the authority of Scripture, still we had good, solid local churches. We had hearth and home and family. Uh, but since, you know, the, the I would say this, since kind of the bicentennial, and I'm going to show my age here a little bit, but I really remember it was kind of a turning point, the bicentennial in 1976, you know, times were good, but then came you know, the recession of the late 70s and the gas crisis and the oil crisis and Carter had just such a 
failed presidency. Um, And I remember my, you know, teachers in high school that began to trash America. Hmm. And here's the thing that young people are enamored with socialism because, you know, we're about three generations in, Janet, to uh, a country where America has never been celebrated. Mm -hmm. Patriotism. You know, if, if you go to an American university campus, as it's been my privilege to speak at more than 200 university campuses, 60 to 70 percent of which were secular campuses, not Christian. I just want people to know that. Um, if, if you come out for patriotism and the red, white, and blue, and you dare say that you love America, you might as well say that, you know, you're going to bring back the Model T Ford or 8-track tapes. <laughs> um, uh, let me, at, at American universities, if you are pro-America and you're patriotic, you, you might as well say that you're for human trafficking or, you know, giving cigarettes to infants or something, because American education and these, these professors that are disconverting young people and turning impressionable young minds into Marxists, yep. and mom and dad is paying for it, yep. are paying for it, rather. Um, these professors, they don't love America. Most have never worked in the private sector. Most certainly have not started businesses or uh, understand how wealth is created and what it's like to make a payroll. And I, I tell moms and dads, and, and I, I definitely believe in education, but unless you send your son and daughter to a solidly Christian school, and, and they're increasingly rare, uh, I, I can promise you, like Ben Shapiro, I interviewed Ben Shapiro for my radio show, and Ben Shapiro said college is a four-year attack on America and God. Isn't that interesting? Alex, hang on a moment. We need to pause for a quick break. Alex McFarland, the name of his book, The Assault on America. We're going to come right back on Janet Meffer today. How much is one life worth? Most of us would say life is priceless, and we'd be right. After all, what is the value of someone created in the image of God? We're asking Janet Meffer Today listeners, just like you, to help us save babies through the ministry of Preborn. How does Preborn save babies? Through ultrasounds. Preborn works with hundreds of pro-life pregnancy centers across America, providing free ultrasounds for women in crisis pregnancies. And 80% of the time, when a mother sees her little baby on an ultrasound, she'll choose life. It's that easy. We need your help to support the vital work of preborn in saving human lives. For your gift of $28, you can provide a free ultrasound to a mom in a crisis pregnancy. And for a gift of $140, you can provide five ultrasounds to five mothers. All you have to do is call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for saving a baby's life. For several years now, Syrians have been pouring into the country of Lebanon to seek refuge amid terrorism and civil war. Now the crisis in Lebanon has escalated in the aftermath of COVID-19, a crumbling economy, and a devastating explosion in Beirut. Yet the spiritual crisis in Lebanon is the most devastating crisis of all because many people there have still never heard anything about Jesus. That's why Heart for Lebanon is on the ground ministering to hurting refugee families in the south and the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon, providing emergency supplies 
supplies, Christian education, Bible studies, and worship gatherings for these refugee families. And the impact is incredible. Your investment of $116 will help two families impacted by the crisis in Lebanon to get emergency supplies that they need to survive during the next 60 days. But best of all, these families will hear the gospel of Jesus for the very first time. A gift of $58 is enough to help one family. Can you help? Call now, 888-247-5499. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Here are some of those numbers I was referencing earlier when I said that the millennials and Generation Z through this poll last year, actually a Harris poll that was done last year, said they prefer living in a socialist country. That amounted to 37.2% of millennials saying it and 49.6% of Generation Z saying it. Now, how do you continue to have a free America under these circumstances? Alex McFarlane, great Christian apologist and author of The Assault on America, is joining us. Alex, you had said before we went into the break, you were talking about Ben Shapiro's comment about going to college and its four-year assault on God and assault on America, which is true. But now this comes to a point where we ask this question. You've actually asked this question in your book. Has America reached its expiration date? If you have a populace that has been brainwashed into hating itself, basically based on the lies of the socialist historian, quote unquote, Howard Zinn, uh, what do you do? How do you turn it around? And is it too late to turn it around? Because many Christians are saying we're in the last days. It it all looks like it's shaping up. The Lord's going to come back and we're going to be out of here and all the rest. But I get frustrated a little bit because when you begin to say it's all over now, what that causes Christians to do is to stop doing anything. And I don't think that that's the right reaction either, because I'm sure, as they say, a lot of Christians during World War II said, well, Hitler, he's got his Third Reich, it's over. And it wasn't over because people fought back and people prayed and people from the United States. And, you know, obviously the good guys won that war and uh, beat back Hitler. But what are your thoughts on that whole matter about the expiration date on America? Wow. And, and, you know, uh, we have to work and pray and serve and witness you know, as if we're going to be here another 500 years, but mindful of the fact that, you know, Christ could return at any time. Yes. Uh, and and that's, you know, we, we just are called to be ready and be faithful. And, you know, First John 2.28 says that we are to abide in Christ, that we will not be ashamed at Him, uh, you know, before His appearing. So, uh, let me say, in the aftermath of the Scopes trial in 1925, um, we had kind of this fundamentalist retreat from the public square. And, you know, uh, we morphed into World War II, and, you know, there there was a lot of evangelicals back then that kind of had the mindset, oh, you know, the world is going to end, here comes Hitler, and there's Darwinian evolution, and let's just, you know, live for heaven. And Jenna even... Um, well, Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called The Great Evangelical Disaster, and, and I think part of the reason that Hollywood and the arts are so overwhelmingly blasphemous and secular, anti-God, anti-America, is because Christians retreated not only from the public square, but from the, the art, literature, and music. And so um, we're seeing a lot of the result of Christians that have either passively stepped away and just let the world go where it goes, or they've created what uh, Francis Schaeffer called was this evangelical ghetto, and we've done things that are kind of B-grade 
and not with excellence. Whereas, I mean, if, if you look at, you know, the, the Reformation and the time after the Reformation, and certainly America in her prime up until, you know, I would, I would say 35, 40 years ago, I mean, you, you look at education and technology and the arts and research and, and just even architecture, uh, Christians had been people of excellence. And yeah, of course, like C.S. Lewis said, you know, we know that the Lord is coming back and time as we know it will come to an end. But Lewis said in 1954, the important thing is this, that we are at our post when the inspection comes. Yes. And so um, let, me, let me talk for a minute. You know that quote has been attributed to so many people. I don't know that they know the actual etiology of this quote, but somebody once said if you're you know, not a liberal before age 25, you don't have a heart. If you're not a liberal, if you're not a conservative after age 25, you don't have a brain. Right. Um, I don't know who said it. There, there is a little element of truth to that. Kids are very compassionate. Um, my wife and I have taken kids on many uh, domestic mission trips and even a few international mission trips. A lot of these millennials and younger, they've got a good heart. They're willing to get their hands dirty for others. However, um, that compassion, that zeal has not been uh, compensated and balanced out with knowledge. Hmm. And so somebody like a slick-talking Bernie Sanders comes along and seems to be like a wise old man, which I would say um, that's only half true. Uh, but uh, he's old, but I would say not wise. Um, and, it, you know, for the government to make sure everybody has a guaranteed wage, free health care, free tuition, doesn't, wouldn't that be compassionate? And a young person or a not-so-mature person says, oh, well, gee, that's good. You conservatives... Oh, I guess you want people to be hungry. No, <laughs> that doesn't follow at all. No. But um, it's not compassionate to enslave 300 million people in uh, basically a guarantee of pov- poverty and substandard living. Yeah. And so I want to say this, Janet, I know I'm talking too much, but um, I, I want to make a plea to pastors and Christian leaders and Janet, I mean, I've pastored two churches, and, and I know the the fine diplomatic line that pastors feel like they have to walk sometimes. But we need some ministers in the pulpit that have courage. We do. And are willing to speak hard truth to this country. Uh, not like a, a John Piper who's urging people to not vote for Trump. <sighs> Don't get me started on that. <laughs> I agree uh, with you there. Well, well, let's do get started on that for oh, a minute. You're drawing me in, Alex. You're drawing me in. I, that was outrageous, that article. Made me so upset. Do you know the article to which I refer? Yes, yes. It was an article for listeners who, who may not know. I don't recall the name of the article, but John Piper came out with an article this week that was talking about the fact that uh, basically referencing Donald Trump, but not naming him and listing all of his sins and saying, you're not just electing policies, you're electing a person. And when some Somebody is this wicked, then the, a little leaven leavens the whole lump and everything. And I, I'm sitting there scratching my head the whole time and going, do you mean Joe Biden? I mean, can we talk about China for a while? I mean, wh- exactly. what is that all about? Well, uh, and, you know, the larger, for those just tuning in, the larger context of what we're discussing here are the mindset 
theological and political, the mindset of young people. And, and I would say that in Christian thought and citizenship, uh, some intellectual heavy lifting is required. Right. You know, um, and as we grow, you know, Paul said that we, we are to grow and mature and move from milk to meat and put away childish things. So, so let me just say this. When it comes to something like the election, uh, we're not voting on the degree of someone's sanctification. Now, should people be moral? Of course. Do we wish all people, including our leaders, would be pursuing Christ-likeness? Of course. But um, the first of all, and I would say this in love to, to Piper or anybody, first of all, while we're condemning pride, let's not forget to rein in the hubris that presumes to know the state of another man's heart. Correct. Because that's called Phariseeism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and John Piper doesn't know another man's heart. John, uh, Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? I mean, I can't even barely know the state of my own heart, Janet. Well, it, it, exactly. And not only that, but what he really came across insane in that article, to me anyway, was don't you dare elect a sinner. Like, well, what's left? Because then I guess he came out later and said he wasn't advocating for either side. I'm like, well, okay, but that's kind of a perfectionism that renders you polis. It it renders you ballotless. And I I wonder if that's just not the push, uh, just like so many of these evangelical leaders have come out as pretty much open progressives over the last several months, if that's just not the game here. Just keep the conservatives... ...to just... um you know, recuse one's self and say, well, I'll just not sully my hands with this thing called a vote. You know, I just, I'm not going to be complicit with someone's carnality. Right. Look, it, it's less about the person and more about the policy. Now, I'm not ruling out character because, you know, um, like Bill Clinton, who was a man of deplorable character, or here in my home state of North Carolina, Cal Cunningham is running against Tom Tillis, and it's come out that Cal Cunningham has two mistresses that we know of. Right. Um, so people say, what about character? And I'll say, yeah, sure. I mean, if, if a man would backstab his spouse, heaven help the rest of us. So, uh, of course, character does matter. But let me, let me throw this out here, and folks, just hang with me. I worked for years with a man named Norm Geisler. He went to be with the Lord. He yes. was a brilliant guy. Yes. I, I would argue probably genius level IQ. And Norm, uh, in Christian ethics, obviously we believe in absolute truth, objective truth. Jefferson called it self-evident truth, natural law. But Geisler coined a phrase, graded absolutism. And Geisler said the highest ethic is the preservation of human life. Now, the highest spiritual call is to worship God, and him only shalt thou serve, Luke 4.48. But the highest ethic in terms of loving my neighbor is the preservation of human life. Now, because people would ask Norm, okay, uh, would it be right, you know, lying is a sin, but should you tell, was Anne Frank's family right to tell a lie to save Jews? Was uh, Oscar Schindler right to lie? And Norm said, yes, that was mo- there was a morally sufficient reason to tell a lie. So the question of moral sufficiency, all right, 
Let me give you an example. I'll tell you what, Alex, Alex, hang on a moment because we do need to pause for another break and we'll come back to it. Alex McFarland is with us, The Assault on America, his book. And we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Meffer Today archived broadcast is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. We're trying to provide 100 refugee families with emergency supplies and the gospel during this urgent time of crisis. Your gift of $116 will help two families. Please help today by calling 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. It is always a privilege and an honor to have Alex McFarland here, great Christian apologist. His latest book, The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. His website, by the way, is alexmcfarland.com. You'll want to check that out as well. You were mentioning the late, great Norman Geisler, and I, I really appreciated him as well. Talking about the highest ethic as we're going into a political discussion is the preservation of human life. And the funny thing about that, Alex, R.C. Sproul made the same comment. I remember this years ago watching a video, I think, of, of him talking about that. And, and or maybe it was a tape I was listening to. And he made that same point. And he said the first fundamental duty of any human government is to protect the lives of its own citizens. Period. End of story. And he made the comment, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he made the comment, if a government will not protect and preserve human life, I really don't care what else they do. And I thought, Mm. can we have Sproul back for about 30 minutes, Lord? (laughs) Bring him back, you know? What a brilliant guy. He was. Uh, What a brilliant guy. And Janet, let me just say thank you for having me on. And thank you for being one of the rare radio shows Maybe, maybe the only radio show that I know of that really honestly works to equip people in terms of a biblical worldview. And so I want to thank you for the vital work you're doing, and it is vital. And, uh, you know, Norm Geisler, and I mean, he was um, one of my professors in, in one of my degrees, and a brilliant guy. I mean, I stayed at his house. Norm personally mentored like William Lane Craig. Mm. And so, folks, when I, when I invoke the name of Norm Geisler, I cannot overstate what a careful thinker he was. Nice. So we're not throwing these ideas out there glibly or without due diligence. And so Norm would say this, if you have a moral dilemma, you know, I want to do what's right, but neither option seems right, what do we do? Uh, Norm said, well, the highest ethic in terms of the, the injunction to love my neighbor, the highest ethic is the preservation of human life. Now, um, imagine, you know, to kick somebody's front door in is wrong. But if it means that you can save them from a burning building, you had a morally sufficient reason to do what otherwise would have been a wrong. Yes. And one of my favorite examples is um, when I was, I have a sister who's five years older than me, very godly. Caroline, if you happen to hear this, I love you, sis. Um, My aunt was looking after us. I was about, I don't know, one. My sister was about six. And my aunt grabbed my sister and dislocated her shoulder. Mm. And 
that's child abuse, isn't it? Yeah. No, it saved her life because my sister was chasing a red ball and about to run into the streets. And so ordinarily jerking a, a five-year-old's arm out of the socket is abuse. But if it meant you saved that child from an oncoming car, it was morally sufficient. That's right. Now, to the case of Trump versus Biden and John Piper, God bless him, but he, like so many teenagers, have not thought through the logical end of their worldview or their current position. Well, Alex, and, and might I just say, and I threw this up on Twitter because this really bothered me, uh, he still promotes the work and the thinking of the gay priest, Sam Albury, on his website at Desiring God. He still says, yeah, he still says no regrets. He has no regrets over ever promoting Mark Driscoll. And you know what a fan of Mark Driscoll I am. The guy's a complete (laughs) fraud, plagiarist, wolf in sheep's clothing. So, you know, and promoting Christian hedonism, which is not biblical. So people, when you're going back to the idea that people are not thinking and accumulating knowledge, this applies, in my view at least, not only to what subject you're discussing, but also the person who's giving you the advice. More and more and more, I've made this comment a lot over the last several months, and I've said, don't trust somebody merely by looking at his doctrinal statements, because a lot of these guys will do this. They'll throw this, see, I believe in the deity of Christ, I believe in the gospel, I believe in the Trinity, they go through, you know, checklist, boom, 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 everything's orthodox, okay, he can listen, I can listen to him. And some of these people, what they actually believe and what they actually put out there for the masses in evangelical to consume has nothing to do with what the Bible actually says. We are in a time of wolves, Alex. We really oh, oh, are. We are. Yeah. And, and you know, Janet, you are, you are so right. And what I would say to all of your dear listeners, the, it all boils down to the authority of God's Word. And, and my dear friends, I mean, think. let's talk for one moment about the gay issue, gay and transgenderism. Clearly, Genesis 127, God made male and female. Mm-hmm. Gender is, is binary. There are male and there are female. Yep. All right? Um, marriage, heterosexual monogamy is God's design and God's mandate. So I've had Christians write me and say, but Alex, you don't know my nephew. He's mm-hmm. a good boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Alex, my professor who has a Ph.D., is a Christian and performs gay marriages. Mm. But Alex, so, so, you know, think about this, Janet. We have got the Word of God, the law of Moses, the affirmation of Jesus, the Son of God, the greatest thinkers who have ever lived, from Augustine to Aquinas to Norm Geisler, and we've got all of that versus basically a 35 to 40-year well-organized marketing campaign coming out of Hollywood. Hmm. That's I mean, and, and it amazes me how quickly the church has dipped her colors. Um, I was in Denver, Colorado, and I was backstage to speak for a national meeting of a certain denomination. And the guy pulls me aside and he goes, listen, during the Q&A, some of these college kids might ask you about creation. I said, okay, <laughs> good. <laughs> they said, are you, are you a, a, do you believe in creation, like Genesis 1 through 11? I said, uh, yeah. Now, this is a Christian denomination. The guy says, Alex, please don't come out for like six-day creation because they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, first of all, I don't care because they didn't hang on a cross and die for me. That's right. That's and right. I said, do you know, 
um, we don't have time to unpack this here, I said to the guy. I said, but look, um, yeah, I do believe that God created in six days and rested on the seventh. And I said, if I'm asked about it, you have to understand, I will stand with the Word of God. You have to. And, Jen, I guess my point is, look, I'm nobody. I'm just some guy. But at 21, the Lord Jesus saved my soul. And in the 30 years since then, 30-plus years, I would say this, 50 states, five continents, every state capital, hundreds of libraries, 18 published books, everything I've researched, Janet, only affirms and corroborates my belief that the Bible is the Word of God. And I guess I would just caution the church, don't be so quick to throw in the towel and uh, cave to the culture, because the Word of God stands, and the only man that ever rose from the dead, Jesus, said in John 10.35, the Scripture cannot be broken. That's right. That's right. You know, I'm going to stand with the Word of God. You have to. And the longer that you do that, Alex, the more the Lord vindicates that stance. I have seen that over and over and over again. We have, talking about the wolves in the pulpits, we have a whole group of leaders right now who came into prominence talking about the fact that the culture wars are over and, you know, this, you know, God bless America and kind of made fun of it and then tried to turn evangelicals in another direction. Now these are the same people who are coming out as social justice warriors telling you not to vote. You should declare your uh, your 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 not your biblical but your uh, political independence. David French and Tim Keller on on that track, oh, yeah. and it feels like a big fat deception. Like you came in saying some good things, and now what happened? What just happened here? And it's so many of them. And I don't mean to yeah. belabor the point, but when you stand on the Word of God as the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God, and say. I'm going to be a Berean. I really don't care what degrees you have behind your name. I don't care how, you know, I don't care. I don't care. I would rather be with Stephen the Martyr and the Apostle Paul and and these ordinary fishermen who turn the world upside down in the book of Acts any day of the week than a lot of these PhD guys. No, no, knock on PhDs. But but this idea that I'm so brilliant and I know everything and let me tell you how to think. I'm done with that. The Lord says we should examine all of what we're taught to see whether or not it is, it is so by examining it against the very word of God that he's given to us, which all of us can read. We got to take a break. Hang on. We'll be back with Alex McFarland on Janet Meffer today. If you could provide God's word to a Bible-less believer elsewhere in the world, would you? Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send that Bible today. Hebrews 13.3 urges us to remember those in great need, noting that when the body of Christ anywhere is found lacking, we're encouraged to help provide it. These believers live where churches are small and remote, where authorities aren't welcoming of Christianity, and where Bibles are scarce. As Pastor Carlo in Peru says, they need the hope found only in God's Word. Everyone wants to read the Bible, but what happens, there are a few copies here in the area. Many of them will uh, be sharing the single Bible. For only $5, believers around the world will receive Bibles and be discipled in their new faith. $35 sends seven Bibles, $100 sends 20. And because of a matching gift right now, your gift will be doubled. Call 800-YES-WORD, 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 or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561, 855 855- You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Boy, this hour's gone fast. It always does when Alex McFarland is here. Wonderful Christian apologist and author and just such a man of God. AlexMcFarland.com is his website. You can check out his wonderful website with everything about him. His latest book is called The Assault on America, How to Defend Our Nation Before It's Too Late. And in our final segment here, Alex, I want to get into that because when we are talking about how to defend America before it's too late, I know one of the things that you really stress is the need for apologetics, the need for the church to know the word of God. Can you speak to that? issue and how we really can shore ourselves up as Christians and stand on the Bible and not on, uh, you know, the sandy foundation of this world at a time like this. Wow. Well, thank you, Janet. And again, I know in as much as this is our last segment, I want to say again, thanks for uh, having me on. Oh, and thank you. How much I affirm and appreciate the the vital work you're doing, and and, and what you do really is vital. Thank you. But um, apologetics, for those that don't know, I mean, it's it's an ancient legal word. It means to speak in defense of something. It's not not apologizing. It's not saying I'm sorry. That's from the Latin phrase mea culpa, <laughs> my guilt. I'm culpable, but apologetics means to defend something. And, you know, in Philippians 1.16, Paul said he was, a, he was set for the defense of the gospel, or appointed to defend the gospel. Uh, that's the word apologia, apologetics. So, Jen, I think we need to do this in the church, because so much of everything, not only the, the specifics of the gospel, but really just the foundations of reality, that we can know things, um, they're, they're under attack. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Sproul a few minutes ago, the great R.C. Sproul. Right. And he talked about, you know, our, it's called epistemology, how we know what we know. Um, if you're a Christian, your epistemic basis is realism. Okay, what does that mean? It means, well, truth exists, truth can be known, Truth is personally applicable to each of us. Truth can be expressed in words, you know. So we we have been a, a culture that was based on really theological realism, that truth exists and you can know it. Well, all of these things are under attack. So in the church, we need, sure, to evangelize people, you know, John 3.16, but we also need to help people understand the obligation to attend to the life of the mind. Okay. And our kids in our youth group and our adults and seniors, 
they ought to be, be able to articulate what is truth. Uh, why do we know truth exists? Does God exist? What kind of God exists? Is it, you know, the Trinity, or is it a pantheistic, whatever? Um, then Jesus, who is Jesus? How do we know Jesus historically really actually did live? How do we know Christ rose from the dead? Did Jesus really claim to be deity, the Son of God? What about the Bible? Um, how do we know the Bible has been preserved? What about the manuscripts? What about variant readings? How, do we, how can we definitively say that, yes, is, this is the inerrant Word of God? And then, uh, Janet, what might be the biggest apologetics issue of all, the problem of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. Can we reconcile a perfect, benevolent God with the fact that right now, this minute, there is pain and suffering in the world. And, and then I think, Janet, we even need to go farther than that. Let's talk about application. How can I, to the best of my ability, consistently live out a, a robustly biblical worldview in the 21st century? Now, I have found in 30 years and 2,300 churches and 46 citywide conferences. Wow. I have found that young people are desperately hungry for truth. I mean, you know, people are like, oh, you know, teens don't care about this deep stuff. You know, youth ministry in America, rock them, roll them, pizza, paintball, Pepsi, because kids that know, look, I'm like the mayor of Dull. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) Every weekend of the year, I'm in front of teens and they thank me. Uh, uh, Jenna, I'm in Camden, New Jersey, and I do, I talk to middle schoolers in the same vernacular that I teach grad students. And I had kids come up to me, they said, Mr. McFarland, thank you. I'm like, for what? For, for treating us like we have a mind <laughs> and for believing that we can get it. I said, yeah, I know you can get it because God made you and you're a rational creature and you were made to know and experience truth. And, and I guess I would just challenge all the youth leaders. Um, you know, we've written all kinds of resources to help, you know, not only equip kids, but equip the adults who speak to the kids. Of course. But, Jen, I mean, I think kids, they can know truth, and I think deep down they want to. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, a lot of kids don't feel challenged. And I wonder when we look at those statistics about how many young people leave the church, if that's not partly why. You know, yeah. it, it, it can be mind-numbing. I remember when I was a teenager, there were parts of it that were mind-numbing to me. And I went to my youth pastor and I said, could you please do a little bit more, you know, challenging? You know, that, it was probably a rude thing for me to say at 17. Mm-hmm. I, I really loved my youth pastor. He had a huge impact on me and he was very, very responsive. But again, they they want to have the numbers there. And I don't fault them for wanting to have as many kids as they can possibly get into the youth group. But within all of those numbers of teenagers will be the next generation of leaders in the church, the next generation of pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers and Bible study leaders. And if we, you know, that is such as you know more than anybody, Alex, that is a critical time in your life when you are young and you are in high school or you're in college. Many Christians I've talked to can point to experiences in high school and college who can say that changed my life forever as a Christian in a good way, whatever it was, apologetics conference or what have you. Well, and and let me say this. Um, I want to make a plea for youth ministry to be less zany. Yes. Because here's the deal. 
you know, if, if you present Scripture, and, and by the way, as much as I, you know, teach C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell and, you know, Norm Geisler, but make, if you do nothing else in your Sunday school and your youth ministry, let those students know that your starting point for truth, reality, belief, and behavior, and your summum bonum, your everything, is the Word of God, the Amen. Bible. Amen. All right. Now, there's, maybe there's going to be 2% of the kids that are bored and they're ADD and they'd rather be playing Xbox. But you know what? I've had hundreds of kids come up to me and they'll go, I endure Sunday school because it's so silly. I mean, these are like 7th and 8th graders, yeah. and especially males. Let me say this. I've had a lot of teenage boys say to me, you know, I hate youth group. I'm like, why? Because are you not interested in God? No. They're like, yeah, I'm interested in God, but youth group is so silly. It's so patronizing, you know. Yep. I And there's a lot of kids out there, folks, that they're honestly hungry for something substantive. That's right. I, I mean, they email me. And, I mean, listen, not every child is going to immediately say, gee whiz, I better go buy, you know, uh, Aquinas's, uh, you know, Summa Theologica. <laughs> no. But you'd be surprised. And listen, there, there are a lot of goofy kids out there that are not paying attention, but there are a lot that are hungry. And if we send the message that it's just, you know, super soakers and um, silliness, I mean, we're, we're basically saying, hey, Christianity is, is not relevant. Not serious. Not serious, yeah. too. That and then, and you know, we're living in very serious times. This is the we, last we time are. in history that we should be concentrating on super soakers and zaniness. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, this is a time to pray. I know we're almost out of time here, Alex, but it seems to me that this is the time where we really need to pray, and we need to do all of these things that you've mentioned. But we really need to pray for this country. How do you feel about it? Oh, I think we do need to pray. And let me say, one of the great characteristics of, of a spiritual awakening is unity within the body of Christ. Mm. Uh, John seventeen twenty one, Jesus said, Father, that they all may be one, O and E, that the world may believe you have sent me. Um, a lot of things we could talk about. Maybe we'll, let's do a show on spiritual awakening. But I want to challenge people. Um, look, reach across the denominational aisles and organize a prayer meeting on the eve of the election. Good idea. Or the weekend. Good idea. And listen, even if t three people show up and, and you say, well, gee, if I tried to get a prayer meeting up, there's only two weeks' notice, wouldn't be half a dozen people show up, great. But let me tell you, when different people of different denominational strata come together, but yes, you all believe in Jesus, the Savior, listen, there's power when the body of Christ unifies. Wonderful. We're going to have to leave it there, but the name of the book, The Assault on America by Alex McFarland. Check him out on the internet at alexmcfarland.com. Always a pleasure and an honor, Alex. God bless you and blessings on your ministry. You do such great work and it was an honor to have you here. Uh, you and your family as well. God bless. Thank you, Alex. Take care and thanks for being with us. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you on the next broadcast of Janet Meffer Today.